Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I am Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. And I'm joined, once again, by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. So, Doug, how's the offseason treating you, man? You're probably just lying around on the couch reading poetry, right? Something like that? Oh, man. Well, you know, these days, you know, there's no such thing as an off season. You always have to declare that you're going to come into spring training in the best <laughs> shape of your life. That's that's like the quote you got to always use. I'm in the best shape of my life. So uh, no, I'm enjoying it. You know, obviously in October, I evaporate and then I come back after the playoffs. So hanging with the family, planning Thanksgiving, the holidays and, and just eventually starting to ramp up for my my course at UConn in January. So it's a good time, but you know, we're still doing our show. We're still meeting incredible people. So yeah, I'm enjoying great. it. Um, look, uh, just hearing about your life um, every week, it, it sometimes makes me tired. You have a lot of kids. Okay. You have a lot of jobs. <laughs> but here's the thing. If your heart wasn't thumping hard already today, I can pretty much guarantee your level of inspiration is about to spike dramatically because our special guest this week Seems to have that effect on people. Uh, it's the new manager of the L.A. Angels, Ron Washington. Wash, thanks for joining us, my friend. Well, thank you guys for having me. And um, I'm, I'm certainly very happy to to be able to uh, chew the fat with you. Well, uh, we are happy <laughs> right. to. Uh, first off, congratulations on a moment that's been way too long in coming. Really happy for oh, you. Well, thank you. I um, God is good, and He gives you what you need when you need it, not when you want it. So I needed it. He must have knew I needed it, and He put me in the right spot. Tremendous. Well, listen, yeah. we, we have so much we want to talk to you about, but uh, first off, your introductory press conference in Anaheim last week was must see TV for me. I, I hung on your every word, but I, I have to admit. I did laugh at how hard it was for you to remember that your team is the Los Angeles Angels. <laughs> is that phrase oh, yeah. California Angels just stuck in your brain? <laughs> yes, before I before I arrived in Atlanta, most of my years at the major league level as a coach or manager was in the American League and they were Anaheim. And every now and then, you know, you get to going and you you, you it hits you. So but uh I know it's the Los Angeles Angels now. 
and maybe I need to just say angels, but uh, <laughs> oh, I have it in my mind that it's the Los Angeles angels. Uh, you know, all you have to do is go through it one time and you get the stares that you get and you get the comments <laughs> coming back that you get. And you said, okay, I'm not making that mistake anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Yes. Uh, you know, I honestly can't remember any managerial hiring in a really long time that seemed to make people around the whole game happier than you getting this job. Uh, and, and not just in L.A., not just in Anaheim, not just in Atlanta where you've spent the last seven years. I, I mean everywhere. So I, I'm curious, how many people in baseball – would you guess that you have heard from in the last week? Well, when I when I when I got announced as the manager of the Los Angeles Angels, I got off the plane. I had 260, 260 text messages, and uh, I had fifty six uh, phone calls. So when you call, um, you can't get in because uh, for some reason it's still full. Anyway, but uh, I, I I got a lot of love and. Um, and, and you get that from the years that you spend in the game and the relationships that you develop. That's what the game of baseball is about, relationships. And you've always treated people the way you would like to be treated. So, you know, I think that's the reason why um, there's such an uproar that I got back into the, the position to lead again as a manager because, uh, you know, people love good people. And anyone that has ever met me or spent any time with me they know i'm I'm genuine yeah well what do you think was the most surprising or memorable or meaningful message that you got from somebody maybe one you just didn't see coming um uh, chico fernandez told me that uh you control your attitude when you wake up in the morning and i've never forgotten that instead of being salty about what you're about to endure for that day um bring the attitude and and you never know um who you will influence so i remember that and i was a, a youngster at maybe 21 22 years old at the time and it and it resonated with me and i always try to give that back when i'm dealing with anyone mainly but the people in the game of baseball because that's where i spend most of my time and especially lately with the young talent that's been in baseball so um, you know, I just try to bring the attitude with me every single day. The only one that knows anything might be going a little off in my life is me. But when I walk in a ballpark, what's on the outside, stay outside, and I deal with what's on the inside. And that, that keeps me going, and that keeps them going. So, Wash, can you talk about how, you know, you know you've evolved in the period between your last time you were at the helm so now, I mean, what what has been the Ron Washington evolution where you want to bring something different from all those years of coaching in between to what you're doing now in this new well, job? When I Angels? left uh, the, the game um, as a manager, um, you had more veterans on the team. Since I've been away from managing and been in Oakland and then into Atlanta, um, you see a lot of youth and you see a lot of inexperienced youth and your patience and going through the process of teaching the ball game is a, is a lot slower. And you have to deal with that. You got to understand that when this generation today, when you're teaching them, it can't be you only. You have to be the teacher. They have to be the student. 
the student have to learn from the teacher and the teacher must learn from the student. So if you want to talk about an evolution, I made that evolution because I said when I left, I was dealing with a lot of veteran players. Now it doesn't matter. You will always have a lot of youth right now and you have to stay in the process and you have to teach and you have to be present for them because they always ask why. <laughs> hey, you, you know, Washa, I'm, I'm sure you've been asked this a lot, but had you come to terms with the idea that this moment would never arrive, that you were never going to be able to manage again? Well, as long as I was relevant, and what I mean by relevant, I was still in the game. I was still making a difference. You held, I held on to that little thread that maybe I would get another opportunity because I'm, I'm still making a difference. And I think people love good baseball people and real consistent baseball people. And so, you know, you have that doubt, but in all my life in the game of baseball, doubt has never played a part of my being. But because we humans, we do have doubts. But I never let the doubt sink in to the point where I didn't think I would get another job. I held on to the little bitty part of it that someone would see I can make a difference and give me that opportunity again. And the Angels were the team that did that. Yeah, that's great. I know you go way back with Perry. Um, I know that relationship meant a lot to him. I think it was a big factor. But, you know, after the Rangers won the World Series, uh, I wrote about something that seemed to catch the attention of a lot of people. Look at the last three managers to win the World Series. This year it was Bruce Bochy. He's 68. Last year it was Dusty Baker. He was 73. The year before that it was Brian Snitker at 66. You know, it's almost as if experience running a team actually matters, you think? <laughs> well, I, I do think it matters because knowledge, you can go look up knowledge. And you can go look up the word experience and get a definition. But, you know, <laughs> knowledge, anyone can go get knowledge, but you have to go through it to gain experience. And that is the separator right there. Um, I'm not saying that everyone need to have experience. I think if you become an inexperienced guy in this business, you put experienced people around you. And now you do have experience, but you have to go through it to experience it. Uh, you can just pick a phone or a book to get the out. Hey, uh, one second here. We have a little uh, interference here, Tim. Tim? I think it's the other. Oh, it's Tim's sound. Yeah, Tim? <laughs> okay. uh, Speaking of technical difficulties. <laughs> Tim took oh, yeah. over. <laughs> <laughs> he... Yeah, he's. Hey, what happened oh. there, pal? <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it says, it says you're sharing the sound right now. Oh, oh, it's just doing its thing. Yeah. All okay. Right. Well, um, do you watch. Do you, do you want to finish okay. there, or you, I? You answered that well, right? No, I, I was finished. Oh, okay, Doug, why, why don't you back yeah. up here? So, yeah. And, and watch, like, you know, I think of the through line of your career, you know, playing, coaching, managing, but there's one thing you've kind of created this con con consistency around, and that is these pregame workouts, right, that you do with all the players. Freddie Freeman, you know, you've, you've ritualized this in such a way 
that you've built like a fan base around it almost, <laughs> right? I mean, we, we, we show up early and we watch, I mean, I filmed it. And it. Um, can you talk about like what that exchange has been for what your understanding about how players have evolved over time and, and what connections are made when you, when you create this ritual every day? Well, when you create a ritual, which you guys call it, uh, but what it does is it gives you an opportunity to correct things. It gives you an opportunity to see what a player's head is. It gives you an opportunity to teach. It gives you opportunity to direct. It gives you an opportunity um, to help them learn how to get through adversity. So see, there's much more going on down there on my knees with my drills than just me putting the ball on the ground and they catching it. There's a lot goes on. And if you don't recognize it, you will never know. But the guys that are part of it, they recognize it. And that ritual started with, uh, again, a Dodger guy of mine, Chico Fernandez. He did a lot of close-up stuff. I took it to another level. That's all I did. I took it to another level. And it seemed to work. And, um, and you know, I'm not only uh, due to drills, but I'm breaking down everything that goes on. There's definitions that's going, that's being answered down there. A word come up, we get the definition to it uh, and see where it applies <laughs> to you. You see what I'm saying? Usually when you look up a word, there's four definitions and you got to find which one applies to what you are talking about in the moment. So there's education going on. I'm being educated by them and they are certainly every day being educated by me. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad you brought this up because I, as another huge fan of watching those drills, I, I always felt like they were about so much more than fielding technique. There's also an element to it about day-to-day -day work ethic. Am I onto something? You, that's the key to it, day-to-day -day <laughs> work ethic. You hit every day. And why can't you get on the field and do something on the defensive side every day. And if you learn it and you do it properly, you out on the field for four minutes, four minutes, and you have received 96 to 97 balls at every angle that you will get it on the field. So that's how the consistency comes in. That's how you learn cause instead of symptoms. A lot of times in this game, people when they describe something in the game and they don't have the expertise in it, all they're describing is symptoms. Well, <laughs> I describe the cause. And if you've got the cause, you never see a symptom. And with my guys, so watch, you never one, see symptoms. <laughs> so watch one question as a, now that in the manager, I wasn't sure if you did this in Texas, but would, will you keep that going, like doing the drill? Because sometimes, in you know, you get in the managerial chair, it's harder to do the drills and got pregame press conferences and all. Are you, are, are you hoping to keep those drills going? I did it in Texas, and I will do it in, in Anaheim with the Los Angeles Angels. <laughs> I don't do the media in the morning and spring training until around 10. I'm on the field before the sun come up. That isn't going to stop even though I have an infield coach. See what I'm saying? I want to make certain that we get a program together for the infielders that he can introduce to them daily. So I'll be on the field with him early in the morning, and then I'll come back and do my, my, my press conference. During the season, I don't get to do anything with the media until around 3 o'clock. So I got from 1 
to three to get out there and make sure that these guys get going with the get going, you know, got to get going on. And the generation of baseball players today, they seem to live at the ballpark. So if I get to the ballpark at 1130 and I go take care of me, you know, do my bicycle, do my stretch and do whatever I have to do to be strong for these guys when they arrive, I come out of there, see about 130 quarter to two. Almost half the team is already at the ballpark. So we're starting our work at 2.30. You see what I'm saying? And doing the media at 3, so that's only going to give me a half an hour. Or if I make plans with the players before they come to the ballpark, I can help them out there at 1.30. That give me an hour and a half. Because they're already at the ballpark anyway. So, you know, I'll arrange it according to that. But uh, the media... It won't stop me from giving my expertise. I would be doing the Los Angeles Angels an injustice. I would be doing the players that need to work an injustice if I didn't be out there giving my expertise. I'm going to be a working manager. I've always been a working coach, and I've always been a working manager, so it won't change. I hear things out there about, well, he might not be able to do this, he might not be able to do that. I set the schedule because I'm a big dog. <laughs> you, you, you don't watch that. I, I know that term old school uh, has come up a lot since the World Series and, and since you got this job. But here's the thing. Uh, all right, Bruce Bochy, I, I know he's not 38 years old. I don't think of him as old school when I watch him do his job, when I watch him run a game. Brian Snitker's been around a while. I don't think of him as old school. What what about you? Do you think old school is the right description of Ron Washington? No, I think a, a baseball generational giant is a good description of Ron Washington. In the game of baseball, what is it about? Adjusting and readjusting. As long as you make adjustments and you readjust to things after you made that adjustment, you're going to be fine in baseball. I've adjusted and readjusted through a few generations. I've adjusted and readjusted through a bunch of changes in the game. It hasn't done anything to my style of teaching or my style of the game. I see the difference in the game, and I see where it comes in application. And while I'm the manager now, when this new style of baseball is, is can be applied, I'm not going to miss it. I've been through it. <laughs> What I'm trying to do is get the guys that are have to go between those lines to understand that we just want to be prepared for every part of the game of baseball. Every part. Baseball is here. There's things underneath baseball, and I'm not going to pick and choose what we use. Whatever presents itself, I want my teams to be able to react to it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I know people are going to ask you all the time about analytics. Um but I remember a story that you told me a few years ago that I thought was awesome that I've actually retold to, to a lot of people. I, I, I want to tell it again here, and you can tell me if I remember it right. Okay, so you and the Braves analytics group didn't agree on the positioning of the shortstop and the second baseman when you had a chance to turn a double play. So if I remember this right, you tried it their way for a few games, then you went back to your way. And so one of the analytics guys came down and asked you about it. And you said something to the effect of, I want to listen and learn what you know. But after you're done, 
I want you to listen to me and I'll teach you what I know. So do I remember that right? Yes, you do. Okay. And, and so we came to some conclusion that was beneficial for them and for my players because it wasn't me that had a problem with what they were doing. It was the players that had a problem with what they were doing. And if the players was out there constantly coming back complaining to me, they're not focused on what they're supposed to do. But that was the manager coming out of me at the time. So I got everybody together <laughs> and we got on the same page. And now players quit coming to me complaining because they had <laughs> their space. So, I mean, you, you have to adjust because they what they give you is great. It's great information. <laughs> But the thing is, you can't come down and just shove it to people. You can come down, have a meeting, and give it to people and let them see where it works, where it don't work, where you can use it, where you can't use it, who's going to give it to the players and how you want them to apply it. All of that come into play in the game of baseball. Before, you had charts, and you just go by the chart and you play the game. But it's not like that anymore. There's tendencies that they... Uh, allowed. There's tendencies that they got a lot of information behind, and it's it's important, but it's not the all. I think you got to watch the game from the first pitch, and you got to watch how things unfold, and you got to watch how things apply as the game is going on. You have to be aware of what's going on, um, and that's how you got to play the game of baseball. And, and the other thing is just the way you approach that that you're willing to listen okay these you know there, there's a lot of knowledge there's a lot of information that's available now and it it's important to be open to it but i think what people in the game always wonder about is the people who are handing that information downward do they ever listen to the people on the field um so that idea that you can teach them and How hard continue. is that to make that to make sure that's the climate? It's not hard if you're willing to adjust and readjust. It's not hard at all. It, it really isn't. What what happens is you make every person feel invested, and in this business, that's all you want to do is being have an investment in what's going on. Now it may not work your way. But at least I had an opinion in it. You see what I'm saying? And and that's all you want. And all I want from them is to recognize the wisdom and the knowledge down here, just like you want us to recognize the wisdom and the knowledge up there. Let's talk about it. That's all I want to do. Let's talk about it. It may not go my way, and I'm okay with that. I really am. But at least I had a chance to be invested, and that's all I want. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, they never had a problem. When they brought down something, they would say, Wash, we want to get your opinion on this. So I sit down and, you know, if it's right, it's right. You can't argue with right, just like you can't argue with wrong. <laughs> and that's all I'm in there for, for the right and the wrong of the situation. That's it. And there it goes. <laughs>
Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, Wash, I, I think of, um, you know, all this reminds me a lot of, of Dusty Baker in some ways when I think about, uh, you know, managing people, right? And I had the chance to play for him in, in 2003. I, I guess I wanted to understand I guess what he meant or what he represent, what it meant to you uh, in the game. You know, obviously, you know, black manager it took a long time to get the World Series, but highly successful, highly respected. I guess what did hit the trajectory of his career mean to you, and how is it inspiring you today? Well, I don't think you guys know, but you're about to find out. My first year <laughs> in the big leagues, Dusty took me under his wing, and my first year in the big leagues was in 1977. He took me under his wing. He taught me how to dress at the major league level. He bought my first pair of gator shoes. He bought my first suit. He bought my first animal belt that I've ever had. And he made certain that uh, there was times when um, we beat the team. He would go to Tom Lasarda and get Tom Lasarda to get myself uh Jeff Leonard and Raphael Landestoy in ball games. I don't need my last at bat, so you can give it to this one. You can give it to that one. Uh, he did those type of things. And as far as uh, him dealing with uh, players of all kind, um, he grew up doing that. He was under Hank Aaron, and you cannot help but get some of what Hank Aaron is inside of you. And what I found from Dusty when I was a young kid coming to the big leagues, he was willing to give until today he's giving. Till today he has given. And that's what makes him so special. When you can give and you're not about taking, you're not about trying to uh, be the centerpiece. You just want things to be right for everybody. And he certainly um, led the way and, and making some of these young black uh, baseball minds that are on the field between the lines recognize that it's possible for them to be managers if they want to. It wasn't my vision to be a manager. My vision was to be a third base coach. It happened. And Dusty always been the kind of person that was a leader. And I recognize as a youngster, 22, 23 years old, that I was a leader. And I'm not afraid to lead. But if you want to become a manager, you have to not be afraid to lead. You can't just want the job to want the job. You got to want the job to make people better and make a difference in communities, make difference in organizations, make difference in players' lives. 
especially if you might have one or two that goes down the wrong trail, you're able to bring them back because of the experiences you've been through. Um, all of that comes into play. And that's what Dusty means to me. He means everything to me because when I got to the big leagues, he was the very first one to teach me what a big leaguer sh should be, what how a big leaguer should act, and how a big leaguer should be a teammate. Wow, that is great. Um, you know, Wash, I feel like the plight of the Angels teaches us something about baseball, I, I, but I'd love to hear your take on what that is. You know, for the last six seasons, the two most transcendent stars in the whole sport, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, were Angels, and somehow that team played zero postseason games and had zero winning seasons. So what is the moral of that story to you? as you take over the job of changing that? The moral of that story is two people cannot, two people cannot win a championship for an organization. It takes everyone in the organization and it takes the whole roster and the other guys that are on the 40-man roster to win and be successful. Two guys can't do it. And that's what happened in Anaheim with uh, Shotani and um, Mike Trout. Um, yeah, they, they might have had some other people around them, but for some reason, the rest of the people on that team, they, they wasn't producing to help the two that other producers uh, get it done. A superstar is only a superstar if he got a great team because he can't do it by himself. Yeah, he put up his numbers, but winning only happened when the team, the front office, and everyone else, the the the, the guys that are selling the popcorns, the 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 the, the people on the outside that's uh, taking the tickets, um, everybody has to be involved in that. And mainly, the twenty six or the twenty seven guys on that roster all have to be pulling in the same direction, and they all have to be producing through the skill set and ability that they have. I'm going to say that again. Through the skill set and ability that they have, not trying to be a Mike Trout, not trying to be a Shoatani. They are who they are. Well, those two guys, and I'm not knocking anyone, uh, there wasn't enough help for them to be successful. Yeah. You know, I keep thinking how unimaginable that would be in any other sport. If you had the two biggest stars in the NBA and the same team, well, you go like 70 and 12, you know, right? Yeah. So uh, it, it, in our sport, star power is cool. But, you know, you've talked about wanting Mike Trout to lead. Okay, so yes. how, how do you take someone like Mike and find a way to have him become the centerpiece of winning and energize everyone around him? Well, there's no secret. And Ron Washington is not going to walk into Anaheim and it's going to be a secret. Mm. When I say I want him to lead, I want him to be the head dog, be the guy that shows up every day and show the organization and the players what it takes to be successful. And then you have followers. And then when you draw followers, they become leaders. And now you got 26 leaders. And what happens when you get 26 leaders is – Everyone is being held accountable for what they do. It's not just 
picking on the young kids that might not uh, be doing anything and say, what is he doing here? He can't do this. Well, that part of the game won't change. You will always have youth. But that's why you need to have a staff that's teaching. You need a staff that's teaching. And so all I want for Mike Trout and Rondon to do is show they went inside to everybody on the club about how they come to the ballpark, how they work, how they go about their business, how they deal with adversity, what their presence means. There's such a thing as presence and performance. I just want their presence there every day because they will fail on days to perform, but when they don't perform, their presence show everybody else how they're supposed to act when it's not the way it's supposed to be. That's what I want in a leader. And if those two guys can come in and do that for me, and I'm going to have conversations with them, and I'm going to help them do it. It's not like they're going to come here and they got all of a sudden become. No, no, no. I'm going to help them to learn how to lead. And then by helping them to learn how to lead, they turn everybody else that's going to follow them into leaders. And now we got a very accountable group that's going to go out there and be accountable for playing the game of baseball. And that's all I want. And Wash, I, I imagine at this time you haven't had the full audience of the team yet. You know, you've been introduced. Yeah. Uh, have you thought about like, you know, the speech that I heard every spring training, right? Of that first time you're in front of everybody, oh. the type of tone that you're trying to set or or the messages uh, that you're trying to convey in that moment? Well, I write things down every day. By the time I get to spring training, I'll have me an outline. I know what I want to say. I just want to make sure that I hit the points is the way I want to hit them. So, you know, thoughts come to your mind every day about things you hear from somebody, things someone might send to you. And the whole thing I want to do is make certain that we cover the game of baseball. That's going to be my message. How are we covering the game of baseball? And if we can cover the game of baseball, we're going to be successful. There's no doubt about it. Before we get to spring training, I'm going to get to Rondon, I'm going to get to Mike, Mike Trout, and I'm going to explain to them what I mean about them being my leader, and then I'm going to have them put what we talk about to action. I'm going to find out from them what they think been going on the past couple of years, how they think we can change this, how they think we can change that, what they need to do this, what they need to do that. See what I'm saying? How are we going to make certain that these other kids that we have on this team is going to be able to follow you and why they would follow you. I'll give them an example of that. Why they would follow you. I just want you to get into that mode. And once you get into that mode, I got at least four or five guys that can play. I'm going to have at least four or five young kids that's going to be learning how to play. See what I'm saying? And I want them to know if they're going to be here, they got to carry their weight. I'm going to let them know what their skill set brings, what their skill set brings and try not to get outside of that skill set. And as years progress, that you gain experience, that skill set might change. But right now, everybody wants to hit the long ball. Nobody wants to play little ball. <laughs> everybody wants to uh, shine, but nobody wants to create the shine. So, you know, that's what I mean. We got to make certain that everyone knows what their capability are Staying within those capabilities. And if you're around long enough, now you gain an experience and your capability may go to another level. But at the time, 
This is what you bring, and this is what we want you to perfect. That's going to be our mantra from day one throughout the whole season because I looked over everything that Anaheim did past year, and in the first half, they was outstanding. But if you go down the roster, everybody tailed off at the, the second time going through halfway through the season, everybody. Well, we're going to have to learn how to sustain. And if we can sustain, we're going to be in the hunt. You know, Wash, I wonder if you think that the new rules are, are are changing the way the game needs to be played, the way winning baseball needs to be played. I just wrote a big story about this last week, and it was interesting talking to people in front office about the way they think they need to build their teams moving forward to be able to take advantage of these rules, to be more athletic on both sides of the ball, to be able to run the bases, how important that is, to be able to, to, to turn ground balls into outs without the big overshifts. Um, as, you, as you oversee the evolution of the 2024 Angels, how big a factor is that in your mind? Well, it's a huge factor. But all you just described is the game of baseball. The St. Louis Cardinals was playing that kind of ball. The Dodgers was playing that kind of mm-hmm. ball. You know, the Kansas City Royals was playing that kind of ball back in the day. So, I mean, yes, there's rule changes that, that make things a, a much easier uh, for the player. But when I heard about the rule changes, the thing I said is, why don't we teach it to them? We're going to have to make a bag bigger for a guy that's still a bag. You see what I'm saying? We're going to have to tinker with the pitcher um, trying to control a running game to make a guy look better. All those type of things was taught. They really were. And all all the game is doing is evolving. Now it's coming back. Um, Mike Sochi, when he had his run with the Angels, what he was doing, the same thing they see the Arizona Diamondbacks doing right now, hitting and running. Stealing bags, going first and third, <laughs> keeping the pressure mm-hmm. on. You know, that's when a Vlad Guerrero and them will step up there and they'll, they'll catch a bomb. But before that, it was making things happen. St. Louis Cardinals with Vince Coleman and all those guys. You know, the Kansas City Royals with uh, when, when, when they had Willie Wilson and all those guys running all over the place. UL Washington, I mean, so the game is just is evolving. So of course, we're going to take advantage of the opportunities that are presented. That's a part of baseball. And try to give the least amount of opportunities that you can give. But that's always been baseball. That, that haven't changed. You know what I'm saying? That, that just haven't changed. The only thing that really have changed is little guys think they can hit the ball out the ballpark. <laughs> little right. guys don't even pay attention to a runner on second base for nobody else. They're trying to get them in. Back in the day, a little guy come up there in that situation. He set that up for the big boys. And the big boys made sure they told him what his job is. But today, no one is telling them that. Well, in in Los Angeles, for the Los Angeles Angels, I got coaches that's going to tell them those kind of things. And uh, once they start to buying in and start to believe in uh, we're going to be a, a, a baseball team to be reckoned with. I have no doubt about that. Well, we just left a little guy in Atlanta in Ozzie Albies who, who thought he was going to hit 40 to 50 homers, right? So just reminds me, you, you know, I'm sure you've talked to every one of those infielders in Atlanta. 
since this happened, plus probably Freddie, Dansby, who knows who else. Uh, you, like your guys in Atlanta, uh, and especially Ozzy, what, what's your exchange been like with them? They have to be in mourning. Well, my exchange with them has always been um, fatherly-like, you know, and it still is, even though I'm not there. My exchange has been with them this winter when I've had conversation with them is to make them understand not one monkey run a show. And I told them, you can call me the monkey, but just because I'm gone, the winner and you guys are in you guys. The only difference is I was there to make sure you knew that. Now you have to make yourself know that and you have to make your teammate know that. And you have to let them understand that they are accountable to be consistent in their approach, to be consistent in their work ethic, to be consistent in the love that they have for each other. Um, they got to be consistent in that. And if you're consistent in that, you guys know how to win. I'm just one person. And they say, one monkey don't stop no show. <laughs> Baseball will continue to evolve and move. And you got it. Those kids have it. They don't have to rely on somebody for them to be successful. They're successful in their own rights. Well, Wash, I know that, you know, if you you talk about that core of Atlanta, there's one tone that was really set uh, those all oh, those years, championships, World Series, and that a lot of guys posted every day. I mean, that was really impressive to see. Um, what, do you, what do you bring from that? You know, you have Swanson and Freeman. You couldn't get these guys out of the lineup. I mean, they put 162 games. So there was something, quote, unquote, old school about that. Um, I guess, what did you see in the value in that in, in terms of as you described in leadership? Well, the value in that is what I described earlier, performance and presence. The fact that those guys posted every day and they wanted to post every single day. They, they brought an aura to everyone else on that team around them that when they walked in that clubhouse, it was owned. And if it wasn't on in your mind, you stood out like a sore thumb. And no one wants to stand out like a sore thumb. So every day you walk in there, you had to bring it. You had to bring it. And Snit being of the, the, the type of baseball person that he is, he recognized the flack that he had to take when he tried to remove any one of those guys. <laughs> and they will produce and he had to allow them because of the grind to have their little bit of time of failure but every day they showed up to play and that was their presence when they wasn't performing so then when they wasn't performing and their presence was there they was performing a lot quicker than they would have if they didn't rely on their presence. Now that part of it came from Ron Washington <laughs> with daily conversation. You know, you know how players get, man, I can't do this, I can't do that. You're human. Uh, but you never know uh, the guy that's torn the rubber tonight might be the guy to get your stuff back together. But if your head is somewhere else, your mind is somewhere else, your heart is somewhere else, because woe is me, bro, woe can continue to be you. <laughs> and they took it in, man. And they went out there 
and they believe that this guy today is the one that's going to get me out of my slump. And maybe he did, but maybe he didn't. <laughs> but the next guy you face will pay for that guy for what he did to you last night. That was the ongoing attitude. That was the ongoing commitment. That was the ongoing effort. And that's what I will have in Anaheim. It's got to be built because these guys have never been involved in something like that. But when they see from day one how consistently the work ethic is and the progress you can make if you do things between those lines with total intent and everybody's on the same page, man, they will see for themselves what will happen. I believe there's baseball guys. You treat the game the way the game is supposed to be treated, he's going to bless you because he see you out there trying to do the right things for the situation of the game. And if we can just make the situation of the game paramount, you always know what you're walking into. You always know what you're walking into. There's no secret when you walk up there. When you walk up there, you know you got to go to the right side to get that guy over from uh, from second base with nobody out. Oh, a guy at second base, one out, and they decide to give you a run. Play pepper with the middle. They bring them in, get you something up in the zone and stay in a big part of the field. I already know that. It's not that you're going up there not knowing that. So there's no reason for you to roll over to third base because you can't fool us. Everybody is on the same page and somebody going to hold you accountable if you don't go up there and show us that you're trying to do the job. Now, all you got to do is try to do the job. If you're showing you're trying to do the job, you're going to get a pat just like you did the job because we're human and there's no perfection in the game of baseball. So that's the way it goes. Hey, Wash, we, we could talk to you all day, man, but I, I've got one more. Uh, okay, I'll admit to this. Over the weekend, I, I'm not sure why I sat down and I rewatched the Ron Washington scene in Moneyball, the, the one that depicts you and Billy Bean meeting with Scott Hatterberg and telling him you wanted to play first base, which, by the way, he'd never done. Done. And in the scene, you know, the famous line is, Billy says, it's not that hard. Tell him, Wash. And you say, or at least Brent Johnson, who plays you in the movie, says, it's incredibly hard. Okay, so so here's my question. <laughs> Did that really happen, or was that Hollywood doing what Hollywood does? That really happened, <laughs> but it didn't happen at Scott Hatterberg's home. It happened uh -huh. in Phoenix <laughs> Municipal Stadium in Ken Maka's office when Billy said that. <laughs> but in that movie... Did you see how quick Billy recovered? <laughs> that was the best part of that movie. How quick he recovered when I said, no, Hattie, it's going to be incredibly hard. And Billy said, anything worth doing is incredibly hard. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Don't know that happened. That happened. That's awesome. Billy so and I, we had, a, we had a way of feeding off each other. You know, um, Billy never took me no place he's ever been. But in that movie, he took me to Adamberg's house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's clear this up. The conversation was real. That's great. We had Phoenix Municipal Stadium. The right, rest so is history. Yeah. So let's clear this mm -hmm. up. First base. Learning to, fir learning to play first base. Is it not that hard? Is it? It's, it, <laughs> it is incredibly hard. It really is. That wasn't a line that they gave. 
that's a line that I was asked that question and that's the line I gave. So they put it in there. <laughs> it's incredibly hard. There's nothing mm -hmm. on the baseball field that's easy. It's incredibly hard. So if you go in it with the idea that it's incredibly hard, I'm going to get your best work. Yeah. But if I tell you, yeah, man, it's very easy. Then that's your mindset. <laughs> I don't want your mindset to be, it's very easy. I want your mindset to start working, thinking you got to work through something to get it right. It is incredibly hard. So, do you ever still watch that movie? I watch it every chance I get. <laughs> <laughs> now, the part about uh, when they was dancing in the clubhouse um, with uh, with mm -hmm. G Jeremy Giambi dancing on the table. Yeah, Tommy, yeah. yeah, table. That was embellished. <laughs> that was embellished. That was embellished. But for the most part, most of it was uh, was real. You know, when when you saw us on the field working. And I was uh, standing, the guy that played me was standing over on the on the dugout yelling, um, picking machine. When have you ever seen me coaching from the dugout? <laughs> so, you know, he couldn't coach baseball. So they made it that that's what he was doing. You see what I'm saying? He knew yeah. nothing about baseball. So Michael Lewis, you mean? Yeah, he knew yeah. nothing. He didn't, know, he didn't know how to go out there and coach no baseball. <laughs> So they had him yelling my lines from the dugout. <laughs> yeah, but See? but but incredibly hard. That was real. That's that. That was real. That's yeah, so reassuring. Incredibly yeah. hard. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know what was not incredibly hard? What? This conversation. It was so no, it much was, fun. This was incredibly easy. <laughs> yeah, we got exactly. talking baseball. Something we all love to talk. That's right. Wait. And you like you oh, said, yeah. you can do oh, it yeah. for hours because we baseball people. Hours, we don't mind please. talking baseball. Never. Yeah. No, no man. And it doesn't matter no. the, the difference of opinion in things. It's still baseball. That's right. Wash, well, well, you're the best, man. Yes, I hope sir. the well, baseball gods shine down on you and you win 100 games. I hope our paths cross often. And I hope you'll come back to visit me and Doug in Starkville again real soon. Okay? Well, anytime you guys want me, um, all you got to do is uh, put it out there. And I will because I do love talking baseball. And um, I do feel that uh, we're going to bring some life, some joy, and some passion back to that community in, in Anaheim and get back to playing baseball the way they're used to playing it and get back to filling up that stadium so we can have an, another advantage besides beating between them lines. <laughs> I hear you Wash, that. thank you, my friend. We love this. Thanks, Wash. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate both of you guys. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, it's that time again. It's time for Listener Trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. So, Doug, it's our last show in November, man, so our unprecedented trivia streak is on the line. We've gotten at least one trivia question right in every calendar month this year, right? But not this month so far. So I've been thinking, like, what happens if we get this wrong this week? You think we'll get banned from Thanksgiving dinner or something? Well, you know, since we're uh, colliding with football, I think we're in great shape here. We've covered like the entire four seasons. We've covered all the sports. We've outlasted them all. Uh, so I feel like this is just bonus time right now. I mean, you know, we're just we're already Mister November, uh, Misters December. I don't know. We have to make up new titles. Is there like we can make up our own month if we want? Even uh, I talked about leap year. We got to be. We can be Mister Leap Years. So I feel like we're good. We're, we're good. This is gravy. Um, I feel like we're in a good spot. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, for not Mr. November, or if we can make up our own month, do you think maybe we could pretend one of those months never happened? We might have to go with that. Well, yeah. We, okay. Stark, Stark Vember. <laughs> we'll call it Stark Vember. <laughs> All right. I like that. Uh, look, I think we have a shot this week, but it won't be easy. So why don't we welcome in this week's special trivia guest star. It's a guy I met this summer in Cooperstown when he was an intern at the Hall of Fame. Uh, let's bring him in here, Justin Alpert. Justin, welcome to Starkville. How's it going, guys? Great to be here. It's, right. great, it's great to be here. Great to have you here. And uh, Justin, I know you've still been working at the Hall of Fame. So why don't we start out by having you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from, uh, what you've been doing in Cooperstown, and and maybe even your dreams of working in baseball going forward. Yeah, so I graduated University of Wisconsin this year, this May, and I went to intern at the Hall of Fame, and it was an unbelievable experience as a baseball fan and as a prospective baseball media person, and did a ton of great work there in the comms department, writing stories, running a social media account, working with the website, and I've continued that on a remote basis since August, and an exciting time of year for the Hall of Fame. Um, right now, we just announced the 2024 BBWAA ballot. Um, so they're going to be announcing the BBWAA Career Excellence Award winner, which Jason knows well about that award. <laughs> and lots of other big announcements coming up soon. So, yeah, it's awesome. Um, we, do, we do tons of great work, tons of exciting content coming up. We have a new exhibit on the, the Black Baseball Initiative we have, which will be opening up next season. So there's tons of exciting stuff going on in Town And... If you haven't visited, please do, because it's great. It is great. Um, and if anyone out there would like to hire a really smart guy with a true passion for baseball, 
Uh, Justin's your guy, okay? So operators are standing by. <laughs> and you know who else is standing by? Us. <laughs> we're, we're waiting for your trivia question. So we did some good stalling there, I thought, but we've stalled long enough. Justin, uh, why don't you hit us with your question? Yeah, so I'd say there are a few things better than a seven-game World Series. I mean, we didn't get one this year. We haven't had one since 2019. But there have been plenty over the years in World Series history. So today's question is related to the Hall of Fame and about Game 7 of the World Series. So overall, since the start of the World Series, there have been 10 Hall of Fame pitchers to earn a winning decision in Game 7 of the World Series. But 10's a lot. And I've listened to the show, and 10 is a big ask. So we're going to yeah. narrow this down. Since 1960, mm-hmm. there have been five pitchers to do it. And hypothetically, if someone had done it twice, they would only count as one answer. Mm. So five pitchers to, to earn the winning decision in Game 7 of the World Series since 1960. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, uh, Doug, when Justin tweeted or X'd this question at yeah. us, he even mentioned in, in the post that he doesn't expect us to name all five of these guys because I, you've got your listeners trained. Okay. Okay. So even as Justin is asking us the question, he knows what you're up to. Mm-hmm. He knows you're going to try to employ your latest devious cheating scheme, Operation Multiple Choice. Yes, yes, so, yes. yeah, it's endorsed that, by the FBI. That's confirmed. Yeah, the FBI has endorsed right? it. By the way, that's my latest. <laughs> I, um, I doubt that seriously. But I'll tell you what. Since you both agree, that's what we're going to do. I'll let you two negotiate what we need to come up with in order for us to claim that we got the quote-unquote right answer. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we've kind of come down on two approaches generally. It's either like uh, more guesses for the same amount or only have to get less than the number, something like that. So do you get like, do you go four for four or do you go five for six? I think we, what do you like? I think think five is a lot. Uh, Personally, I try to name all five. So I think... If if I were advising you, mm-hmm. which I guess I'm allowed to do, yeah. on what to negotiate for, I would say we should have to get four out of the five. Four or five. All right. But you yeah, and Justin have I to figure out. Justin decide that. I was going to say I was going to say four too because they are all Hall of Famers, and that's the number of Hall of Fame pitchers since 1960. It's not a massive list, so I think four out of five is reasonable. All right. uh, okay, so that's what we're going to do. Um, very appropriate question since the Hall of Fame ballot, as Justin mentioned, was just released uh, a few moments before we taped this. And what we need are four out of the five Hall of Fame pitchers since 1960 who got the win, win. in Game 7 of a World Series. Okay. And, uh, Doug, I think we can do this. Um, we can try. I, three of them seem pretty easy to me, okay? Because... Randy Johnson, yes. 2001, I know that's right. Yes, I got that. Uh, Jack Morris, yep. 1991, that is it's pretty freaking memorable. Yeah. Okay, so that's two. Okay. Uh, Bob Gibson huh? in, what was it, 1967? Sounds, um, who did they find? Okay, right, so that that's three right off the top of my head. Mm. Well, that's where the wall hit. So that's... we, let, let, yeah, so let's try, we just need to figure out who else might have done this. Um, I've got some ideas. Okay. They're they're all pretty long ago, which is the, the I think the issue. Yeah, 1960, you know, an I, interesting cutoff. Well, who was in the sixty world? Is that like the Tigers? Yeah, but nineteen sixty, the Pirates win. I don't rem- I don't think they had any Hall of Famers 
on that staff. I was thinking about 1965. I wish I had a better knowledge of the 65 World Series, so I would know whether to guess Sandy Koufax or Don Drysdale. Mm. Might be neither of them. Uh, when in doubt, Koufax always feels like a great guess, but let's just put that aside. Right. Um, did Nolan Ryan get the win in relief in Game 7 in 1969? Mm. He might have, mm-hmm. right? No, you're, losing me. You're, uh, losing me. you're carrying this force right yeah. now. You're carrying it. I'm just throwing names out. Uh, Bruce Souter for the Cardinals, Ooh. maybe, in Game 7, 1982. Um, Burt Blylevin, 79 Pirates. I know they won Game 7 in Baltimore that year. Ooh. So I, I, that, those are some good names, but I know you'll also have some. No, so who's on I your list? Don't. I have Hall of Fame pitchers on my list. <laughs> I do have that. Um, I mean, did, okay. did, did, well, Mariano's a Hall of Famer. Did it ever win Game 7? You know, like, I was wondering. I know he's got, all, you know, saves. Uh, but when did, the Yan- when did the Yankees play Game 7? 96 was six games. 98 was a sweep. 99 was a sweep. 2000 was five games. Uh, those are the years they won. So okay, that doesn't work. Can't be him. Oof, no. Hall of Fame. The Braves, the Braves won their World Series in Game Six. What? So I mean, that takes Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz out of the equation. Yeah, like Hershiser is not a Hall of Famer, right? Is he a Hall of Famer? No, not a Hall of Famer. No, he would have. He's no. out. Oh wow! What other Game Sevens were there? Like the the Rangers? Yeah, that's versus that's what I was trying to Cardinals. do in my head. Rangers Cardinals, but uh, it, it's too recent. Yeah, it's too fresh. Pretty, you know, like who? Who, who for the 2011 Cardinals would have won that game in relief? That's not going to Yeah, and been Hall of Fame and done. Hmm. Like Chris Carpenter. Maybe. Oh, wait, that, wait, Chris Carpenter. Is, wait, is Chris, he, did, Chris Carpenter started that game, game seven. He's in the Hall of Fame? He's not in the Hall of Fame. He's not in the Hall of Fame, right. Not in the Hall of Fame. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know, man. This is... <laughs> okay. All right. So... You just hit, uttered the magic words. I don't know. You don't know. Yes. Okay, so let's just, I mean, I like Randy, let's just try to figure out. Yeah, I was fine with Randy, Jack Morris. I had those two. Uh, okay. Gibby sounds great. You know, he pitched like 100 innings in two games. So, you know. All right, so we just, so we have to figure Kofax. out the fourth. Like, you'll never feel too bad if you guess Koufax, yeah. but I don't know that he's right. I <laughs> Um, just don't know if he's. Yeah, right. I don't see seventy nine. I mean, we are. Fans. I feel like he got he got outdueled by Jim Cotton in that World Series. I know that story's stuck in my head, but I don't know when that was. Um, okay, I feel really good about three yeah. of these names. The fourth name, I do not. Um, what, what do you think? What do you well, want to get? So the Bruce Souter, eighty. You have like eighty two, right? Cardinals won that series in seven. Did he get the win? Yeah, that's... I don't know. Uh, like who? Re- you don't remember who got a win in relief, other than Randy Johnson on zero days rest. Not a lot of guys. Yeah, I mean he'd be the only one with fingers or something like that. So, um, I mm, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, Raleigh Fingers could could be an answer. Or Catfish Hunter from the seventies, the A's. Mm. It's true. And then they go seven, seventy-two, seventy. Don't know. I can't remember. Mm. Well, let's go with what we know. I think we have the Dodgers sixty-five sounds fun. Um, <laughs> Johnson, Morris, Gibson, and Koufax or Drysdale. You want to do that? Yeah, All Koufax right. is always well, a good guess. 
Yeah, we won't. <laughs> there's no embarrassment in getting that wrong. Uh, okay, Justin, we just thrashed around. It was painful as always. Is there any chance that it's Randy Johnson, Jack Morris, Bob Gibson, and Sandy Koufax? Yeah, those are all correct, and I seem certain. I seem certain you're going to brush off Koufax, and you kept mentioning him, and then justifying why it's not Koufax. But Koufax, wow, Koufax did it in '65. Gibson did it in '64 and '67. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Morris in '91, Johnson in 2001, and then Catfish Hunter in 1972. Oh wow, Catfish! You named it. We threw that name out there too. So nice job. Nice job. We did it. We, we pulled this How off. did we not talk ourselves this out of this? Like, we were destined, I know, we were destined a, to do it. That's a rarity, man. But the, the streak is still alive. I feel like America's starting to get caught up in it now. Yeah, are you feeling that? Uh, the United States of Starkville, America. Yes, it's a small place, but it's a powerful place. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're going to say, yeah, America's just totally mesmerized by our streak. Uh, like, that was fun. You know what? This segment's about to get even more fun because it's time to bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, to play another fabulous play-by-play clip involving this week's answer. So, Tim, what do you got for us, my friend? We're going with the guy who did it twice, Bob Gibson, as we mentioned. We'll go back to 1967, which is a little painful for me as a Red Sox fan, Mm -hmm. although I wasn't around to see that. (laughs) But uh, the impressive thing about Gibson in that year, he won three games in that World Series, including a complete game in Game 7. Here you go. Strike three, and the Cardinals have won the World Series. As Bob Gibson gets his 10th strike on, and they mob him down on the field. A 7-2 victory for the Cardinals. All of his teammates surround him, and they're roaring in from the bullpen now to continue their congratulations on a magnificent pitching job turned in by the St. Louis right-hander today. Kurt Gowdy and Ken Coleman mm. on the call. I don't think you heard from Ken. <laughs> so, no wonder they were a little down in the dumps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't get that excited about that at all. <laughs> They're Red Sox guys. <laughs> hey, Justin, uh, love the question. And uh, great to talk to you again. All the best, man. Uh, please come back and visit us again in Starkville, okay? Yeah, thank you. And next time I make the question harder because I guess it was too easy. <laughs> Hey, just because we get them right doesn't mean they were too easy. It seemed pretty hard to me. Sliding, catching, and going into the dugout. Now, since it's the offseason, uh, we're putting our ever-popular Strange But True segment on intermission. We'll miss those things, mm-hmm. but here's the good news. We now get to spend the baseball winter hanging out in the dugout. Doug out. Mm-hmm. That's where our friend Doug Glanville uh, gathers us around his campfire and tells one of his many unforgettable stories about his life, about his times, and hopefully they'll have something to do with baseball. <laughs> uh, most of the time, anyway, right? So, <laughs> so Doug, let's do that. Um, here, here's what I'd like to ask you about this week. Frank Howard, uh, one of the true giants mm. of our game, uh, literally, just died a couple of weeks ago, and he was such a beautiful man. Uh, and Doug, I know your paths crossed with Frank uh, in your one spring training with the Yankees back in, what was that, 2005? Is that right? 2005, yeah, spring training. Yeah, okay. So uh, he was a guest instructor. <laughs> you were on a minor league deal with an 
invitation <laughs> to uh, big leagues free trading. One of my favorite things. You never actually get an invitation, right? Does like an invitation ever show up in the mail? Well, I, I, I RSVP'd and uh, it went to nowhere. So I just showed up. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay, well, good. Uh, anyway, your story from that spring about big Frank mm -hmm. Howard and his legendary fungo drills, yeah. one of my all-time favorites of yours. So c could you tell that one in the dugout this week? Because I, I honestly never get tired <laughs> of hearing it. Oh, wow. So, yeah, well, a little backstory was that uh, I was kind of after 04, I had a tough 04, and I could sense, you know, my starting days were over. I was you know, bad hamstring. And so I kind of went to the Yankees or bust. I, like I wanted to make the playoffs. I got the taste in 03. And I just said, let me just try to make the Yankees. And it seemed like there was kind of some openings. Bernie Williams was slowing down and Bubba Crosby, you know, they had there's some possibilities I could be a fourth outfielder, or, you know, backup center fielder, all that. Bubba Crosby. Yeah, Bubba. Yeah. So um so I show up to camp and you know it's a big thing in, in spring training, whether you're on the main field or the quote backfield. And if you're on the back, especially there, oh, yeah. cause the backfield is not even in the same. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, so you're on the backfield and you kind of feel like you're kind of already behind the eight ball, right? You're relegated. And, and uh, I mean, look, I had experience. I figured, you know, I had a shot, but uh, you know, I was back there. Right. So um, at one point, Joe Torrey came to the backfield and made sure he knew that that's how I would think or any player would think. So he kind of assured me that didn't mean anything that I was back here. So I was, that was good. So enter Frank Howard. So, you know, we're doing our outfield drills and he's the roving quote unquote, or the outfield instructor, volunteer. Guest instructor. Guest. Right? Wasn't he just yeah. a spring training? Yeah. Guest sort of a guest. He's a guest. Right. So I had never really interacted with Frank Howard before. Now, first of all, he has this legendary voice. All right, come on, guys, you're going to get, you know, he's always like, it fits the persona, right? He's six foot 14. Okay. His biceps are like twice the size of your head. And, you know, and he's, he's like, and it's true at, at like 70 years old. I mean, the guy was just a machine. So he's got these long arms and barrel chest, and he's talking just like you could imagine. And so, you know, I'm thinking, okay, that's fine. So Frank's hitting balls and, and Damian Rolls is in, in the group. And uh, so he's hitting fungos. Now, rule of thumb, if you're hitting fungos, you have to give the the outfielders in particular a chance to get reset, right? You hit the ball, they catch it, they throw it in, you go back to the back of the line. Frank Howard was like Iron Mike. Like you put in a quarter in him and he just kept swinging. <laughs> I was like, Frank, you know, you got to like give the guys a break. So we're not even, we're like barely, we're like getting out of the way of the next fungo because we hadn't even thrown the ball in. And the guys are running behind you. Like it's this collision. Nobody knows where we're going. And Frank says, come on, come on, guys. You can't get tired on me. You can't get tired on me. Are you getting tired on me? So he's just going off on us about getting tired and you're quitting on him. And we're like, oh, we can't make Frank upset. He could just break us in half. So we got to keep running. So we're like, we're going pole to pole. He's hitting balls. And, you know, half the balls he's hitting a bit too high. It lands in the infield. He's hitting ground balls to short and cursing himself out. Come on, Frank. You've got to hit the ball there. So we're like, I don't even know who he's talking to at a certain point. So we are like exhausted every day. Every day we're just, and we're trying to strategize like, okay, you take two balls and I take one and you go to right field. We'll all start. We, we could not beat Frank Howard. So at one point it turned out Damian Rolls had Frank Howard as a coach, maybe in Tampa or somewhere. Right. So when Frank was off to the side, I asked Damian, I said, Damian, man, this guy, you know, he's not that he's a young chickadee here. How does he keep hitting these fungos? 
you know, he, he must, he's going to pass out or something. We're like worried about him because he's just like, fuck, and he's mad. He's screaming at the fungo. So Damien said that at one point in, in spring, I think it was with the Rays, he hit a ball and they just collapsed to one knee and he just sat in like the thinker pose. And they were like, Frank, Frank, <laughs> you're okay, Frank. And he was just sitting there posing. <laughs> you got it. And just, he had to like take a pause because he like almost knocked himself out. I mean, Frank was legendary. So I survived Frank Howard. I wanted a t-shirt because I made it through spring training with his a million fungos per second. And I, I will never forget Frank Howard for that reason. Uh, this is so good. Uh, like Frank Howard loved baseball and he loved people. To me, he almost felt like a movie character. You know what I mean? Um, like he was the kind of player and coach that Hollywood would have invented him for <laughs> Bull Dorm or Major League, totally. you know, just to get a character like that. Uh, there was honestly uh, nobody quite like him who I met in my baseball travels. So, Doug, really special to hear you reminisce about your brief time with him. Uh, so good. Frank Howard will be missed. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all off season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the amazing hot stove baseball coverage in The Athletic, we can tell you how. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, how about this? Our Black Friday sale is here. So you can subscribe for just $1 a month for the next 12 months. $1. Is that affordable enough? Yeah, it is. Okay. But but also remember, you can be part of this podcast. Every show we pick the most fun listener trivia question of the week. Then that listener gets to join us right here and prove one more time. There's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong, but sometimes we actually get them right. So how could you do that? You could always email us at stuckville at theathletic.com. You can check out my Facebook fan page or my feed on Blue Sky, where we get some fun questions from time to time. Or you can do what most people do and hit us up with your questions at X, the site once known as Twitter. So, Doug, mm -hmm. have you also changed your name to Xville? Or can you still be found claiming to be Doug Glanville? Well, I just use the the X Twitter lingo. Uh, I'm formerly known as Doug Glanville, and currently known as Doug Glanville. So I've just morphed into the same name. <laughs> yes. So therefore, if you want to reach me, you use the same handle, even though it's X, and just use that at symbol, and just go D O U G G L A N V I L L E, and somehow we'll go around the Earth orbit, hit the Starlink, a Tesla, and then it will come to me. What a beautiful thing. So that means the same principle would apply if somebody X-ed me at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Huh? Absolutely. Jason with a Y-S-T. Mm -hmm. uh, hey, remember to hashtag your questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Ron Washington for visiting us. Thanks to Justin Alpert for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Doug and I will see you soon 
Ah, uh, uh, Stark, Stark Bidoo. Bidoo.